Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Listen, we're all going to be in an EV someday. It's just a matter of when. Sooner for others, later for others. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're going to need to charge. Welcome to the Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast for MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. Usually, I'm here with my co-host, Charles Passy, but he's on vacation this week, so I'll be driving solo. You are an electric vehicle. Electricity powers your heart. Want to feel your heart beat faster? Drive an electric car. Made by a company whose if you watched the Super Bowl this year, you might have noticed that seven of the nine car ads featured a plug-in vehicle. Okay, let's go. We're going all electric. In last week's episode, we heard about the history of the electric vehicle and why it's taken more than 100 years for it to become a real competitor to the internal combustion engine car. A lot of electric vehicles have hit the market recently, There's Hyundai's Ioniq 5 compact crossover, the BMW iX, the Volvo XC40 Recharge, the Tesla Model Y, and the list goes on. In 2022, U.S. car buyers have more EV models to pick from than ever before, and car makers have announced that more are on the way in 2023. And it seems that all of these new cars, and possibly the beefed-up advertising that goes along with the rollouts, have made an impact on consumers. When I look at where we're seeing the majority of our traffic in our news section and in our research section, it is EVs. That's Jenny Newman. She's the editor-in-chief of Cars.com, an auto news site where you can search dealerships for cars. We saw an incredible spike in traffic to the EV vehicles that were featured in the commercials attached to the Super Bowl. And that was the beginning of it. I think you had a captive audience when it comes to the Super Bowl and, you know, it it really grabbed a lot of people's attention. What added to that, what, what fueled that interest, of course, has been in these later months, the increasing gas prices. Sales have also seen an increase. While electric cars only account for 1% of the 250 million cars on the road, demand is growing. Registrations for new EVs rose 60% in the first three months of 2022, according to Experian data. And something else might be at play here, the types of EVs coming to market. In this year's rollout, there are two new pickup trucks in the mix. When EVs first came on the scene, you know, more than a decade ago, they were quirky little vehicles, right? They, they certainly caught your attention, and I'm not sure that they truly captured consumer interest. Among the new electric pickup trucks is the Ford F-150 Lightning, an electric version of the automaker's best-selling truck, and the R1T from the new automaker Rivian. There are also several new electric SUVs like the Kia EV6. Even General Motors Hummer is back in a new electric version. So well in excess of 50% of new vehicles sold in the US are either a pickup truck or an SUV. 
David Keith is a professor at the MIT Sloan School of Management. He researches the future of the car and its impact on consumer society and the planet. He says EVs used to be small to mid-sized cars, which are more popular in Europe. So for the vast majority of American consumers, there just wasn't an electric option that suited them. Keith thinks the launch of the pickup truck is a milestone for the U.S. electric vehicle market. To have an electric version of the number one selling vehicle in the U.S., which is the Ford F-150, of which they sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them a year, is even more you know, more profound, I would argue, because what Ford's doing is saying to these buyers that driving an electric vehicle is a realistic possibility and you'll get a great truck that has all the features you want. He says that from the environmental and human health perspective, getting more types of electric cars on the road is crucial. That's because pickup trucks are known to have poor fuel economy. They're bigger and they're heavier and they're less aerodynamic. So they just use more fuel. If someone switches from a pickup truck that gets 16 or 18 miles per gallon to an electric vehicle, the the benefits are multiples of what you would get from from someone doing the same switch in in the small car market. So a lot of new models are coming to market, which might be more in the wheelhouse of what American buyers want. But if you stop by a local dealership and want to actually buy one, it might not be as easy. There's a real gap right now between increasing demand for EVs and what's actually come on market. Rachel Beals is a climate change reporter and editor at MarketWatch. She follows the EV industry closely. For one thing, the manufacturers are testing the market a little bit. Their production numbers are going to be capped until they can fully assess demand. So they may be getting it right sometimes. It seems like they're getting it wrong a lot of times. We also have seen chip shortages, not just in the automotive industry, but other industries. All these factors are slowing the rolling off the assembly line for EVs. On top of that, there's a persistent problem when it comes to electric vehicles, charging. Last week, when we looked at the history of the electric car, we explored the idea that charging and battery power has really been the weak spot of electric cars throughout history. Over the last 25 years, we've seen technological breakthroughs that allow electric cars to have longer ranges and better battery life. But we're still not quite there yet. Here's David Keith again. Gas pumps are amazing from this perspective. You know, you can get three or 400 miles of range in three or four minutes by pumping gas. It's it's amazingly energy dense stuff. Charging an electric vehicle takes considerably longer. There is an advantage that I can plug my car in at home, even at a regular wall outlet. So I can start every day with a full battery, which is not the same as driving a gasoline vehicle. Jenny Newman from cars.com says charging at home is really the best option right now. What I tell people who are interested in EVs is the first thing you need to do is take a breath and go and figure out if you can install a home charger, because that is a really important part of the equation. Newman says people often think they'll be able to charge on the road, but the infrastructure isn't fully built out across the U.S. yet. So she recommends powering up at home, though it can be expensive to set up a charging station. We know that EVs, on average, a new EV costs 
uh, it, like the median price is $60,000. So this is not an inexpensive vehicle. And you need to couple that price, of course, with the cost to install your EV charger as well. And so we installed six here at cars.com and you know, it was as inexpensive as about $1,700 or as expensive as over 6,000, right? It just depended on, you know, wh where they installed it, uh, the needs of their uh, electrical system, all those sorts of things, a lot of variables. For people living in apartments or a house without a garage, home charging is also complicated, if not impossible. Charging on the road might be the only option. And that's where the term range anxiety becomes relevant. That's the fear of running out of power before reaching a charging point. And research has shown that it's one of the major psychological barriers to making the switch to electric cars. David Keith says electric vehicles used to have a range of around 100 miles, but nowadays they often go 300 miles and beyond. He sees that as progress because that's the range most consumers consider sufficient. It's about how far a full tank of gas will take them. Now, not many of us go and drive three or 400 miles nonstop, right? It just doesn't happen. But psychologically, that's the amount of range that consumers tell us will give them confidence that the electric vehicle is, is comparable to, to a gasoline vehicle. There are caveats, though. Batteries lose some of their power as we use them. Keith says for an EV, that could be around 10 to 20% over the life of the car. The weather also impacts battery life. So in cold weather, uh, batteries can lose a significant amount of their storage and therefore vehicle range. So in the order of 30, sometimes 40% of range in very cold weather. So a 300 mile range vehicle might actually only be able to drive 180 miles in practice. Now that's temporary, right? Once the weather warms up again, the vehicle goes back to driving as it did previously. But that does introduce some complexity, that range anxiety that the driver feels, you know, will it, can it get me to where I want to go? My nearest shopping mall to me is 75 miles away. If I need to go to like a Target we have, we do have obviously a hospital here, but if you need to go to like a specialist, that's 90 miles away. That's Courtney Lovegreen. She's the sales manager for Lovegreen Ford. So if, if somebody that has an electric vehicle, you almost have to plan, like, you know, not only do you have a doctor's appointment, but is my car charged? And I think that kind of gives people a little bit of an anxiety where if you live in a 30-mile bubble, you just kind of, you know, bebop around town and you don't even really think about it. You get home and you plug your car back in. The dealership is located in Kirksville, Missouri. We are in a town, a rural town of about 17,000 population, and we are a family-owned business, and I am fourth generation. Lovegreen says their dealership isn't offering EVs just yet. One reason is customer interest. It's not quite there. Another is that setting up shop for selling EVs is a big investment, mainly because they need to install the chargers. She's used to driving long distances to get to most places, and that problem with battery power when it gets cold, well, that's a real issue where she lives. I think 350-mile range is, I think, where we need to be. Like, I would buy an electric vehicle that had 350-mile range because, like, St. Louis, Missouri, so if I want to go down to a Cardinal game, that's 200 miles. And knowing that I can get down and I could need, like, a charge for two or three hours, I could have dinner and then 
then come home. That would make sense to me. Secretary Pete, I am with one of our great DOT electric vehicles and excited to go pick up a friend who's going to share some news on the future of electric vehicles in this country. That's Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, about to jump into an EV with Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm. Billions and billions of dollars, seven and a half billion dollars for up to 500,000 charging stations across the country. That is just huge. You've right. got to put them in areas where we know we don't have that concentration of them already. Exactly. Particularly if there's multiple this is from late last year, when the Biden administration unveiled the goal of deploying a national network of 500,000 public chargers by 2030. The project was funded in last year's infrastructure bill. Here's Rachel Beals from MarketWatch again. Sometimes it sounds like a big number and you talk to an expert and they drop in the bucket. We're going to have to have, you know, millions of chargers across the country in rural areas in particular, if we're going to get full adoption. Just to compare, estimates say there are around 145,000 gas stations in the U.S. Of course, there are several pumps at each station. You can gas up a lot of cars in the time it takes to charge an EV. Listen, we're all going to be in an EV someday. It's just a matter of when. Sooner for others, later for others. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're going to be in an EV and you're going to need to charge. So at least the federal government thinks it's it's getting a good start. And most private sector interests that I talk to are happy with a number like 500,000. At least the administration, they say, is is, is showing a real dedication to trying to hook up this nation so that it can charge. It's just, there's gonna be a long way to go and the private sector will, will fill in that gap. Even if she isn't selling EVs yet, Courtney Lovegreen still believes they are the future. Yes, I, I want to be an EV dealer. I think it is the future. The car market is changing so fast. This is my 10th year in the car business. And it is just, it's crazy how fast EV has come. In the near term, she expects a modest transition from gas to electricity. So being in rural Missouri, I think what we're going to see is people that buy a electric vehicle, and that's what somebody uses to go to and from school, to and from work, just around town, and then they have a regular car with a combustion motor so they if they want to go to st louis they fill up with gas and they go and they don't even have to think about finding a charger or plugging in so i think that's kind of what's going to happen in the next you know two to five years after the break what are some ideas that might turbocharge the switch to electric plus do we need to completely rethink car ownership Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, Wealth Strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to the Best New Ideas in Money, 
Before the break, we heard about how charging infrastructure is one of the most important keys to increased electric vehicle adoption. That's kind of a chicken and egg problem. Do we first see if electric cars become more popular and then adjust charging infrastructure according to demand? Or do we build infrastructure and then that leads to a bigger demand for electric vehicles? David Keith from MIT says that if we wait for natural demand to rise, it might take a while. Americans tend to hold on to their cars for a long time. In 2022, the average age of a vehicle is more than 12 years old. The slow speed with which the the fleet turns over is problematic if you want to rapidly decarbonize the on-road fleet. Because it just a new vehicle purchased today, of which 90-something percent of them run on gasoline, those vehicles are still going to be on the road in 2040. That's just the reality of the world we live in. The federal government has tried to drum up demand by giving tax subsidies on electric vehicle purchases. Right now, you can get up to a $7,500 tax credit for buying an EV. The only catch is it phases out for companies that have already sold 200,000 electric cars, which means automakers like Tesla and General Motors no longer qualify. The used vehicle market in the U.S. is about twice as big as the new market. So two-thirds of people buy used vehicles, right? And we can think of this sort of trickle-down where typically more affluent or professional people buy new vehicles and they drive them for three to five years and then they trade them in and and then you know those vehicles get down to lower price points the people who've been eligible for those incentives has tended to be more affluent buyers keith and the mit team have looked into an idea that would both make new evs more affordable and remove the older more polluting vehicles from the road it's called cash for clunkers and simply put drivers buying a new ev would receive a cash incentive to have their old combustion vehicle decommissioned and recycled instead of trading it in for resale This idea is an updated version of a program initiated by the Obama administration back in 2009. That program focused on stimulating sales of U.S. manufactured cars with better fuel efficiency. The MIT team's idea is focusing solely on EVs. So that we're pulling the worst vehicles off the road and we're replacing them with electric vehicles. And I think that that can be a way of really turbocharging the fleet transition. Another idea? Focus less on the individual driver and more on public infrastructure. The World Bank says it's the investment in infrastructure, meaning charging, that's making people go EV in countries with high adoption. In Norway, for example, 67% of new cars are electric. In Sweden and the Netherlands, it's 20%. Here's MarketWatch's Rachel Beals again. It's kind of an interesting split of the money. Should government incentives go toward charging? Should government incentives go towards the vehicles themselves? Economists at the World Bank found that when it comes to encouraging new EV purchases, investing in charging is between four and seven times more cost-effective than offering subsidies. Beale says there are still a lot of kinks to be worked out in developing an infrastructure of chargers, which will mean making them universal. There are many charging systems on the market with different capabilities, payment features, and even ports. 
What happens when we want all of these chargers to speak to one another so that any credit card works, so that I've got an, I don't have six apps on my phone and I'm in a hurry, I'm a little bit late for a birthday party and I need to top off my charge and which app, none of these apps work, I'm downloading a new one. It's very frustrating for consumers. It's a pain point for consumers. We have to get away from limitations and who can use which charger. And that is coming, but it's not here yet. No one can say for sure when vehicles will be majority electric or if they ever will. But if we imagine a world where electric cars take over the roads, how would that change things? Beale says one interesting idea is catching attention. President Biden just had his Department of Energy officials on the ground in California. Ford was there, General Motors was there, California Utilities were there. So kind of an interesting mix of folks, right? Automakers right next to utility folks. And the idea was, can cars, trucks, SUVs, increasingly become more than just a vehicle? Can their stored power, their stored electricity, when it's not being used, be sent back up to the power grid to keep the lights on in San Francisco and the lights on in Los Angeles, notorious for rolling brownouts, rolling blackouts. The idea is called Vehicle to Everything Technology, or V2X. One industry report from earlier this year said it expects the global V2X market to reach 3.3 billion by 2026, basically up from zero. One major feature of this technology is using electric vehicles to power up the electric grid, essentially making the grid a two-way street. That means that during power outages, say from hurricanes or wildfires, electric vehicles can work as generators to provide power. Pilot projects are testing out using electric school buses as power sources across the country. The buses, which often sit idle during peak power demands during the summer months, can be used to help the grid deliver energy. There are still many hurdles to be worked out, like how to motivate and compensate drivers who supply power to the grid. Plus, tapping electric cars to power up the grid can hurt the vehicle's battery life. The idea of vehicle to everything is even bigger than that. It's similar to when we used to talk about Internet of Things before we really knew what that meant, right? That everything would be smart. There'd be smart technology built into tractors that could get data back to John Deere. So the, the new sort of iteration of that vehicle to everything means that your car gets smarter. It's powered by its own supercharged electric battery. That means folks can be even more connected to their own office, their own workplace while they're rolling around. That car can send excess energy back up to the power grid. That car or SUV can send emissions data to the national collection of that. It can inform traffic lights automatically. In last week's episode, we heard about the history of the electric car from Tom Standage, author of A Brief History of Motion. His book doesn't just cover history. It's about the future of the car, too. They are a fundamentally different kind of vehicle, and they're essentially a computer on wheels. And you can start to do some much more interesting things with cars when they are 
computers on wheels. And one of the things you could do, and you, you know, obviously a lot of people are putting effort into making cars that can drive themselves and that sort of thing. But certainly when cars know where they are all the time and you can walk up to them and unlock them with your smartphone, you could have car sharing with electric cars and you have them sitting in the, you know, the local area permanently plugged into a charger. There are all sorts of ways that you can make the transition to electric cars more convenient. Standage wonders whether instead of just focusing on how to get people to buy more EVs, we might think much bigger. And so I think we have the opportunity here to not just replicate the way the world is now, but with electricity, but to actually look beyond the model we have of car ownership now and say, well, do we really need to own cars? This is the second most expensive thing that most people ever buy after property, and yet they only use it 4% of the time. So, so mostly we don't use it and it's a massive waste of money, but we're so tied up with the sort of social signaling we get from owning a particular kind of car. Standage believes that Western countries are close to peak car, if we haven't already passed it. Peak car is the point where car use levels off and starts to decline. In the research for his book, he found evidence that while there are still more cars on the road, the number of miles driven per car is going down. Plus, more young people in the U.S. are learning to drive later, or not at all. So it may be that after 100 years of obsessing with our cars, that we're not just switching to electric, but we're actually switching to a different relationship with our cars where not everybody needs to actually own one. Thanks for listening to The Best New Ideas in Money. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to David Keith, Jenny Newman, Courtney Lovegreen, Rachel Beals, and Tom Standage. To learn more about electric vehicles, head to marketwatch.com. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch, produced by Best Case Studios. Suzanne Myers is our producer. Our associate producer is Hannah Leibowitz Lockhart. The executive producer for Best Case Studios is Adam Pincus. For MarketWatch, Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer. And the producers are Meta Lutzhoff, Jackson Cantrell, and Katie Ferguson, who also makes this episode. Jeremy Binks is our news editor, and Tim Roston is the executive editor for MarketWatch. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.